God, you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy not because we say you're worthy. You're worthy because you say you're worthy. And that's all that matters to us. Father, you have declared yourself holy. And we know that you're holy and perfect. We look at the world around us. We see the brokenness in our lives, God. And we see the brokenness in the lives of other people. And we turn the news on and we see tragic events like what happened yesterday. And it just further reminds us of how different how so different we are and our world is compared to you. And you are perfect and you are holy in every way. Jesus, we've been singing about you. We've been talking about you today. And we have spoken and talked about your perfection. Jesus, you are perfect in the way you thought, perfect in the way that you acted, perfect in the things you were passionate about perfect in the way that those passions were expressed and carried out, perfect in the places that you went, how you handled adversity. In every way, God, you are perfect, and you show us your perfection, both um, by way of your word, but we see it in you, Jesus. We know that you're worthy of our worship because, God, in comparison to us, we are broken. We have, we're so far from you. Um, Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. And we know that, Lord, your love is not a character trait that you express. You are love, First John tells us. You define what it is. We casually and cavalier, in such a cavalier way, speak of that word in our culture and in our lives. But, Lord, you define what love is. We don't even understand it without you. We've been singing about your love this morning. We've been reflecting upon it as we've been worshiping you. We thank you this morning, God, that you have loved us. You poured out your love upon us. You met us where we were. We had nothing to do with our salvation. We couldn't manufacture it. We couldn't do enough good things for it. But you declared us holy and righteous. And yet when we look ourselves in the mirror, God, we don't see that. But you declare that about us, and that's all that matters to us, God. All that matters. Lord, as we come to you this morning, um, we just pray that you would um, receive our confession, our repentance of sin. God, we confess and repent about some things this morning, personally in our lives. We take time, Lord, just as individuals and do that to you. Um, we need to clear our hearts and our minds of unrighteousness and the filth of, of things that we say and do and think about. And we do that right now. We uh, know when we know are met with a God who doesn't condemn us, Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that. We're met rather with a God who looks at our sin and sees the blood of Jesus that covers it. Man, we can't understand that, Lord. But we receive it and we believe in it. God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, help us to live holy and righteous lives. That's what we pray for. And beyond these things, Lord, we come to you on behalf of this community and pray, Father, for a, a hurting community, a very scared community, right south of us in particular in Cleveland and the Cleveland area. We just pray, Father, that uh, justice would be done. We pray for your mercy to be poured out upon these children in particular. I'm infected by this. We lost loved ones yesterday. 
We pray for the neighbors and the community around it. Lord, you value human life and we believe that. And so we just ask God for you to intervene. Use this for your glory somehow, some way. Use the churches in that community, Lord, to do incredible ministry to the people around them. And I just pray that, Lord, you would bring about people being saved as a result of that shooting yesterday. And so we give this community into your hands. We give these people, all those involved, into your hands. We pray for our law enforcement searching right now and doing incredible work right now that you keep them safe and watch over them. And Lord, that you would use them uh, to keep us safe and to bring about justice in our community. And so we just pray for your will to be done in all of this. God, give this time to you. We give this time to you. We've been singing to you. We've been praying to you. We have remembered your body and your blood that was shed on the cross, Lord Jesus. And now, Lord, we turn to your word. We just ask God for you to open our hearts and our minds to it. Take away the distractions from our minds this morning. There are things that we need to do today that need to be done, but they are not at this moment. In this moment, Lord, we need to hear your clear voice in our minds and in our hearts. So, Lord, clear our minds and our hearts. Help us to receive your word. Help us to understand your word and help us to apply your word to our lives. For you give us the ability to live out the Christian life. You require obedience and faith, as we've seen in the book of Joshua. Lord, continue to do that work in us as a church, as a people, in our families, as individuals. We give this time to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Um, Thank you for attending worship this morning. I'm so thankful to see you. I spoke to many of you in the lobby, maybe out um, outside just to, for a few minutes that I get a chance to get out there. Some of you I've seen in the hallway, but I want to welcome you to our worship to, uh, time together this morning. And if you're new, I'm Pastor Sonny Hathaway. I'm the pastor here at Central. We want to, again, welcome you to our church. This morning, I want to invite you to take a Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 20. Joshua 20, we're going to be there this morning. And we're going to be camping out, looking at um, a passage that God puts in his word that I believe is important for us to understand is it applies to our lives and what God wants to show us and teach us from his word. Um, you know, if you go to Washington, D.C., as I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm from not too far away from there. I certainly am clo from closer than I am from living in Texas. I know that much. Grew up about four hours or so south of D.C. But when you go to D.C. and you walk around Washington, D.C., and you walk around those buildings, you can't help but see the influence of the Bible on our nation. I mean, it is everywhere, everywhere. Uh, we are not a nation that began uh, pagan or, or secular. We were a nation that were founded upon biblical principles and biblical principles that came about in the, in the Constitution and how we even interact with ourselves in every way. But when you go to, you know, you look at building after building after building in Washington, D.C., all around the mall right there where the Washington Monument is and everywhere, you see the Bible everywhere, the influence of God in every level of our government. Now, we don't always follow that. We certainly aren't following it now, right, in many respects and in many levels of our lives. But listen, in all respects, we need God. Without him, without his understanding of justice and all of these kinds of things, we're toast. Did you hear that? Quote that. We're toast. We have no idea what to do. We have no idea how to live. We just make arbitrary decisions upon our own. We have no understanding or no uh, 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 way of understanding how to uh, uh, live and make good decisions in our lives. We're just, just like, whatever you feel like doing, let's just do that. Why don't we decide to do that? When we do this, there's no absolute truth. But the fact of the matter is there is absolute truth. And without that, without God's word, without understanding who God is, we're toast. You with me? The fact of the matter is when you go and you see all of these things, you see this influence of the Bible, you see it in the Pledge of Allegiance, right? 
Now, the kids all know it. Do you know it? Right? Pledge of allegiance to the flag, right? All the way, all the way. And what does it say at the end? And what? Injustice, what? For all, right? We have it in our pledge of allegiance. You see these things that are there. Do we make mistakes as a nation? 100%. We make mistakes as a nation. We make mistakes as a nation when it comes to judgment all the time. Justice, rather, all the time. We make mistakes after mistake in how we think and how we speak to each other, the decisions that are made. Sometimes they're arbitrary decisions. Sometimes they're decisions made truly on the facts. Sometimes they're not made on the facts. They're made on just, just happenstance or how you feel that particular day or if this person knows this person and that, you know, the good old boy system behind the scenes. We're making all kinds of decisions on our own. But the fact of the matter is, as from a whole and as a whole, we are a nation that cares about justice. We believe in justice. Why do we believe in justice? We believe in justice because why? God believes in justice. He's the one who established it. He's the one who sets the boundaries. He's the one who starts with this idea of justice. He's the one that helps us think about justice and how we think about justice. Not our culture doesn't dictate how we think about justice. God is the one who helps us to think about justice. So we understand these things. He cares about justice in our country. He also cares about justice here in the promised land, because that's where we are. If you've been following us with us on Sunday mornings, we've been walking through Joshua. In the book of Joshua, there is a people that God is making, and he is creating for himself, the Israelites, the people of God, if you will. And God takes his people, and he takes them, into, takes them out of Egypt. He brings them about the, 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 the Red Sea, splits the Red Sea, brings them into the wilderness, then takes them to Mount Sinai, gives them their uh, understanding of how they are to live and, and that law that God gives them, the law of what? Moses. And you know this story. God gives them all of the, here's the these and the vows. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're not supposed to do. Because you see, they had to understand what God wanted. We're really good at, at, at knowing what we want. We just make decisions, how we feel all the time. But, but, a bit, but what matters is what God wants. And so when he's creating a nation, when he's creating his own people for himself, then he's revealing the lines, the, the, the boundaries, if you will, of, of what is right and what is wrong and all of these things. And what he's doing is he's communicating to his people that he is perfect and they are not. Right? So he takes them out of Sinai. Then he takes them to this incredible place he's going to take them to called the what? Promised land. And he's going to take them into the promised land. Twelve spies go over. Come, they come back. Ten say no. Two say, or two say what? Yes, Joshua and Caleb. Good job, you were here last Sunday. And two of those disciples, they, I'm sorry, disciples, two of those spies that go into the land and they come back, say, let's go, let's go. And the people say no. And so he sends them into the wilderness, right? We know the story. 40 years they're in the wilderness. That generation dies off. Generation two rises up. By, led by a man by the name of Joshua. And they come into the promised land. And there are these three phases, right? We know this. If you've been here on Sunday mornings, they, they are needing to be prepared. And then he brings them across the, the, the Jordan River. He brings them into the promised land. And then there's the conquest phase. They take out Jericho. They take out Ai. They keep going, 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 going. They make mistakes along the way. When they write those mistakes, then God is with them. And he keeps telling them, I'm with you. If you'll do what I tell you to do, if you'll follow me by faith and with courage and with faithfulness, then God, you will be met with a God who is faithful. If you'll just live courageously for me. And so they do this. God gives them the promised land. We know the story. The third phase of the story of Joshua is that he allots the land. He 
finally gives them the land. They now have the constitution, if you will, that they get at, Mo, at, the, at the law of Moses at Mount Sinai. They have a, he has a people that are wanting him, who want to follow him, who want to obey him, who want to be faithful to live for him. He can work with that. And then he gives them the land, and he says, okay, here's the land. Here's this blessing that I gave Abram, this promise that I gave Abram. I'm going to give it to you all here, which is where we are, right? Takes them into the promised land. But long before he takes them into the promised land, he had given his people a promise. And he says these words. Look at Numbers chapter 35, verse 34. You see, he gives them this promise, and he says to them, it's not there, let me do this, let me read it for us. It says in, in Numbers chapter 35, 34, are you ready? He says this to them long before and way back. He says, you shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. There it is. And understand this, and when we understand it, now God's people are in the promised land. They've gone through these three phases. They're in the promised land. But notice that the Lord cares. Listen to this. The Lord cares just as much or more about what happens in the promised land as he does about giving the people the promised land. So now God is not hands off. He doesn't like say, okay, I'm going to take out these cities for you, Israel. I'm going to bring you into the, and then I'm just going to say, all right, y'all have a good time. Y'all party it up. No, 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 he cares just as much about what goes on within the land and so much about what goes on among the people and how they interact with each other. He cares about these things as he does about giving the people this promised land. Why? Because listen to me this morning, because it ties into us, you and I, this morning. Where God's people dwell, listen, where God's people dwell, God dwells. Where God's people rest and they live, God is there. That matters to you and I, because when you go to school as a teenager, when you go to school as a child and you're a Christian, you are not alone. When you walk into that classroom, when you walk into prom, as many of you did last night, if those of you who were seniors and were at the prom last night here in Livingston, when you walk into that room, God is walking into that room. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, he lives in you. When you walk into a courtroom, if you're an attorney or you're, you know, you're there to uh, argue a case or debate a case or you're there as a judge, God is in that courtroom because he's in you. When you go to work tomorrow morning and you have employees that you have to interact with and you have to lead, God is in that office or in that meeting or in that interaction that you have with you. Everywhere you and I go, God is present because he lives in us. And what matters is not just for, for God's people here in Israel, it didn't matter just that they got the, received the promise, then it mattered that God was there in every respect. Where there was brokenness, listen, where there was sin, I mean, where there is injustice, God desires justice. God desires righteousness. And you carry that with you. You carry righteousness. You carry justice. You carry those things into every space in which God places you. He cares about these things. And so he wants to establish a place of justice. He wants to establish a place of worship. And today in this text, as we're going to see this morning, that God, we find mercy even in the midst of justice. Look at the text with me again. Joshua chapter 20. I'm going to read our text for us this morning. It comes from nine verses, so it's very short. But listen to what it says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. 
They shall be with you, for you are a refuge for the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of the city. And then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is a high priest at that time or at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own home or town and his own home to the town from which he fled. And so they set apart. There were these cities that he set apart. Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness uh, on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben and Remoth in uh, Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan and um, Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. See, in here in chapter 20, we see the need for justice. There was a need for justice. There's a reason why God addresses this. There's a reason why God does what he does here. There was a need for justice. And so once the land has all been allocated, okay, stay with me. Once the land has all been allocated, it's all been handed out, what begins to happen, okay? Well, God comes to Joshua there in verse 1. We just read it a moment ago. He comes to Joshua over an in, in, in relation to a specific situation that was going to happen. God knew it would happen. How should the people handle it? How should the people carry this out? And so it's centered around a manslayer, someone who is guilty of manslaughter, someone who, 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 who um, kills someone and therefore is responsible for that. Now, we understand the two distinctions, right, between murder and manslaughter. It gets to the issue of intent, which is what God even points out here in, in Joshua chapter 20. Someone who murders someone, it gets to the issue of premeditation, Right? In our justice system, we have like murder one and murder two and all of these kinds of things, right? It gets to premeditation and jury has to convict someone of that and, and that is being proven and, and then someone and then sentenced and, and when someone is found guilty of that, that is murder. But what do you do in a case of manslaughter? What do you do with someone who is a manslayer who do some, does something, say, accidentally or something, something that someone does unknowingly? Maybe in that case they are neg negligent which is in our justice system, we have things like manslaughter one and two, things of that nature. Maybe there's negligence involved, but maybe there's just a complete accident. But the distinguishing mark here, now stay with me, the distinguishing mark of what's going on here, it comes back to intent. Someone who decides they want to kill someone versus someone who has accidentally killed someone, maybe even unknowingly. God cares about justice for all. Now, you've got to understand, at this point in time, there is no police. There are no Texas Rangers. There are no constables. There is no sheriff's department. 
There, are no, there is no federal law enforcement like FBI or CIA or ATF or all these different agencies that are all looking and searching for individuals and trying to prove different cases and run things down. So what do you do in a case like this? How do you govern yourselves? That's why God is addressing it, and he's getting ahead of it, and he's trying to help his people. This is what um, I want you to do, right? Look at verse 3. You see, this is what's going to happen, God says. He says in verse 3 to his people, he says that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from who? The avenger of blood. There is going to be this avenger of blood. So, so take, for example, an incident such as this. Two people, two men, go into the woods to go chop wood, to go chop a tree down. Here's, a, here's an example of a scenario like this. And they go into the woods to chop wood together. They have one axe. So one of them starts to take turn, and he's laying the axe to the base of the tree. And what's going to happen? He's going to get tired. And when he gets tired, what happens? He has, passes off the axe to his friend, and his friend starts to chop, and his friend starts to chop, and his friend starts to chop. However, the guy who was chopping doesn't even pay attention really what he's doing, and he starts to go a little bit further ahead of his friend who was chopping and laying the axe to the wood. But what they don't realize is that the, the head of the axe is starting to get a little loose. And as his friend is going like this, and he's chopping the wood, and he's chopping the wood, the axe, is getting, the axe uh, head is getting a little looser and looser and looser until all of a sudden he swings, and the head of the axe comes off and strikes his friend and kills him. What happens? Where's the justice? You see, God cares about justice on both parties. God cares about the justice for the worst, the person who is, who is the manslayer, but God cares also about the death that has taken place. And so God is getting ahead of this, and this is what is taking place, right? The law of Moses said that an avenger of blood could be, could be issued. A person who, in, in a case of a murder, could actually hunt that person down and kill them in God's name. That's what the law of Moses stated. The avenger of blood is what he's talking about there. What do you do in a case of a man who has an axe in his hand and the axe handle or the axe uh, head just flies off? He doesn't have a murderous heart. He doesn't have a heart to, he didn't intend to go into the woods and murder his friend. So what do you do in a case like that? What are we to do? What are they to do? There was a need to bring about justice to both. And the responsibility of the avenger of blood was to go and hunt down the person who, who killed or murdered, and in the name of God and the, 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 the law of Moses could, could issue out and take the life for the life. There was a need here of justice, you see in the text. But within God's justice, listen and stay with me, there is mercy. You see, in, in the case of justice and what God is setting up for his people, there was this need for justice that God addresses, but there is also within the justice of God, there is mercy. And knowing this scene would happen, it demanded justice. Not just for the man who lost his life and his family, but for the man who accidentally and unknowingly killed his friend who was working with him. God comes to Joshua and he reminds him of what it says way back in, again in Numbers chapter 35. And if you'll look back, back there with me again, or you can read this with me or just follow along with me, this is what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is Numbers 35, way before they get to the promised land. Speak to the people of Israel 
and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to the, to the cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The cities shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And the cities that you give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills in any person without intent may live there. That's long before they even get to the promised land. Now they're in the promised land, and God's reminding Joshua, listen, I've already established this. I've already set this up. Now you just need to go do it. Because, again, he cares about justice. He cares about all of these things. But notice that there is this sense of mercy. There were these cities of refuge that they were to put in place. They were temporary cities, if you will, of asylum. They were put there for people who were guilty of unintentional manslaughter. Why? Because of verse 3 the avenger of blood hunting down that person of the two people in the woods and that wife or that brother of that man may be angry and mad and he's going to come after the one even though it was an accident. He's going to come after that one and try to kill him. What does God say? No, he's not guilty of that, of murder. He's guilty of manslaughter and therefore I'm going to create a place of asylum, a place of refuge for that, that man to go. And there was a process for how this was to be done. God wanted this place to be a place or these people to be a people of justice, not vindictive vengeance taking place all across the promised land. So God takes the initiative in verse 1 and 2. We see that. Build these cities of refuge. Notice how many. There are six. Why six? Why locations of six? You see, God is caring about and is merciful to the, to the, the person who is accidental and who is unknowingly killing a person who may be even close to him accidentally and unknowingly. So God says here, I want you to establish six. I don't want you to put them all in, way in the south part of Canaan. I want you to put them three in the north, three in the south. I want them in, in close proximity so that anyone has a fair advantage to get to one of these cities and that there would be a process of justice. And so there was this process that he lays out in chapter 20, right? The the person who is guilty of manslaughter runs to the city. When he gets to the city gate, he knocks on the city gate. And he says, I am guilty of manslaughter. And he states to all the elders there at the gate exactly what's happened. And there, by way of what God says he was supposed to be, or that person is brought into the city. And now it is a place of asylum, a place of refuge. A place where they would be protected. A place where they would be uh, safe, if you will until the time in which they would stand trial before the congregation and state exactly what it would happen. And if that was granted, then they would stay in the city until when? We just read it a moment ago, until the high priest in that city were to die. And when the high priest dies, then that person could be released from that city and go back to his home, back to his family, however long that would be. Justice is served, but still mercy for the manslayer. But I don't want you to miss this one part that we see in the story In God's mercy, in God's mercy, we see how God values all human life. Don't you love this? I mean, look at the story again. 
Because there at the end of the story, what we see is that there is this place in which they were to, to experience. It was for the city of refuge. It was a city of refuge for those who had committed manslaughter. In verse 7, it says, so they set apart these particular cities. But then down in verse 9, they were to be cities designed or designated for all the people of Israel and who else? For the stranger sojourning among them, the people walking through the promised land, the people who were there who were not part of Israel, if they were guilty of manslaughter, God didn't say, okay, they're going to be treated differently than my people. They're going to have just as much opportunity to get to the cities of refuge as well. And don't miss the fact that God cares about all of human life. He doesn't just care about his people. He cares about all people that in which he has created. God's mercy is seen in this justice in his justice, and God values all of human life because every life he creates is valuable. God enjoys, listen, he enjoys saving and protecting all human life. And all of this, listen church, points to this undisputable fact for us this morning. Because there was a need to establish justice We see mercy within that justice, and within mercy, we see that God values all of human life, which tells us and helps us understand this very important point, that in life, listen, in your life, you are going to be met with a God who is just, but a God who is incredibly merciful. You need to understand that you and I are met with a God who is just. He cares about the right and the wrong, and he is a God who is a God of justice, But we also see in the context of his justice, mercy. We see mercy. And here in the promised land, this is what God is revealing to them. It's what God is revealing to us. God shows us his justice. He shows us his mercy. And he does that by way of, listen, showing it to us in the man, Jesus Christ. I hope you will understand this morning that this sermon and this text has already been preached to you right here. You see, God is a God of justice, but he is a God of mercy as well. You know, in your Bibles, you can turn there with me this morning, but it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, this is what God says about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I just want to encourage us with some of these words this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this in verse 3, Blessed be the God and our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, uh, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, listen, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In Jesus Christ, we see that we are met with a, with, with a God of mercy. You see, only Jesus brings mercy, but also only Jesus brings justice. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. I love this verse. It's a very important verse for us to understand and, and really get. This is what it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit, my Holy Spirit, upon him. He will bring forth, what? Justice to the nations. That's Jesus Christ. This is what Isaiah is prophesying about. Jesus Christ brought justice to you and I. Jesus Christ brings mercy to you and I, which 
then leads to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. He is a merciful and he is our high priest. Look at this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful, what? High priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. When Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to the cross as a perfect, sinless Savior. When he goes to the cross, he is a perfect, sinless high priest. When he goes to the cross, he is a perfect and sinless God who lays on the cross and he dies on the cross and his blood is shed and his body is broken on the cross. And he's doing all of that for you. He is carrying out the justice that you and I deserve. And then God looks at you and I as sinners, as broken people, and he extends what? Mercy. Because the penalty has been paid. The penalty has been paid. Man, what a beautiful picture. In Jesus, he is our high priest. He's the one who brings us to the Father. In Jesus, he is the one who is the only one who could go to the cross, who was sinless and a sacrificial lamb of God who goes to the cross. And therefore, when you and I look at each other, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you see a sinful, broken person who you may be good today, but not good tomorrow. Maybe you can say, well, listen, I've, I've grown a lot. I've really changed a lot. I've really changed quite a bit. But guess what? Tomorrow you might sin again. You will sin again. You're a broken person, just like me. And not to mention, you can look back in your past and you can see the mistakes you made and you can sit down with a pen and a pad and you can write down all the things that you've done, all the things that you've said, all the ways in which you, you, you lost your temper, or things that you said or did, or people that you alienated from God, alienated from yourself, alienated from other people. You, we can point to all of those things, right? Which is why when you understand that God loves you so much that God steps into this world by way of Jesus Christ and he does for you what you cannot do for yourself, he lays for you this option, he lays for you this choice of which you can choose to either live your way or live God's way and to live God's way is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and give your life to him and start to walk with him. And the beautiful picture is that you are met not with a God who condemns you, but you are met with a God who loves you, a God who forgives you, a God who redeems you, a God who put his son on the cross for you and me. Man, God is good, and we are not, which is why we need the grace and the mercy of God. He is a God of justice. And listen, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, we want to give you a chance to do that today. You don't want to leave here today without giving your life to Christ. You don't want to leave here today without getting that right and at the end of the service, we're going to give you a time to do that, an opportunity to do that. But listen, Christians, let me speak to you and I this morning. Because understand this, that you and I, listen, are image bearers. Yes, God is a God of justice. Yes, God is a God of mercy. Yes, God is a God who cares about human life. But that has been ingrained in you and in me. And so when I look at myself in the mirror, I see myself as, yes, someone who doesn't look like anyone on the face of the earth, and nobody will ever look like me or be like me. But what I do see as well is I see an image bearer, not as someone who looks physically like God, but the traits of God, the character of God has been put into me. And therefore, I'm to value the things that God values. I'm to care about the things that God cares about. I'm to be passionate about the things that God's passionate about. I'm to run from the things that God tells me to run from. I, I am an image bearer. Therefore, when I go to school, when I go to work, when I go to the RV park, when I go to on vacation, when I get on an airplane and I fly halfway across the world, I am an image bearer. You take God with you. Therefore, 
If God values justice, then promote justice. You be the image bearer. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 3 says this. Listen to this verse and look at this verse. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Man, God cares deeply about doing the right thing, saying the right things, living the right way. God is just. God is right. And we see this on the cross. Isaiah 53 shows us and tells us that Jesus hung on the cross in a, in a way that he becomes the propitiation for my sins. There's that just act of the cross. Where perfect justice is, there is a perfect society, if you will. Everything is right. Everything is just. But we don't live in that society, do we? We don't see that in our society, right? Because we live in a world of brokenness. And justice doesn't come by way of the Avengers or the Justice League or the superheroes that we see in the movies. Justice comes by way of the people of God who carry the name of God wherever we go. And therefore, we ought to promote justice. If I'm at school, I promote justice. I see something wrong. I see something that is not right that God says he wants us to, to right. Then I step in and I, I do that because Jesus is my only hope. I carry him with me wherever I go. And I become an extension of where I go. I become an extension of Jesus Christ to make right what is wrong. Just to make right what is wrong to make good decisions, to step in in the spaces where the decisions are wrong. I'm to step into those spaces with courage, yes. But because God values justice, I'm to promote justice. That's number one. If God values mercy, then live merciful. God values mercy, live merciful. Exodus chapter 34, 6 and 7 says this for us. That the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This next verse, it says, in verse 7, that's okay, it's not important. You see, God says to us, despite how someone treats you, and you respond with mercy. Despite how someone speaks or acts towards you, you're to live merciful even when they're unworthy, even when they've messed up in their life, or to meet them with mercy in every way. You see, in the cross, there's justice. But there's on the cross, we see mercy. Which is why we take the Lord's Supper. And we celebrate that, and we remember the Lord's death. When you eat the wafer and you drink the little juice cup, you're drinking and remembering mercy. Man. Jesus, you did this for me. Therefore, I can walk out of here not with my head held low and looking at the ground because of all the mess that I've made with my life, but I can walk out of here today knowing that, Jesus, you did everything on the cross and that everything on the cross has been applied to me. Your mercy has been applied to me. Your grace has been applied to me. And if that's the case in your life, then you don't, cover, you don't walk around with your head held low. You walk around with your head held high, and then you extend that mercy to other people. You live merciful to other people. So if God values justice, promote it. If God values mercy, then live it. But God also values life. And if he values life, then you value all human life. 
It's in just in how you treat people, the words that you say to people, the kindness that you express, the graciousness that you express, express to other people. God values every race. God values every person on the planet because they are all image bearers. We are all image bearers. We're going to sound different and, and look different. I mean, some of you in this room are from East Texas and West Texas. That's like two different countries. You with me? But just how we treat each other, how we live in light of each other, how we, the, the kindness that we show, the, 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 not just hospitality, but in which and how in which we serve each other, how we treat each other, goes beyond just saying hello on a Sunday morning, but it's building deep relationships throughout the week and in our lives, right? We need that. It's not just race or in socioeconomic backgrounds or whether I made a more of a mess of my life than you or this or that, but it's also in how we value even in the womb. I mean, that, that we understand that we're a people that are pro-life, yes. We care deeply about children from the moment of conception all the way through the womb to the point that they are born. We care deeply about those children. But we also care about the mothers who are birthing them. We care about the fathers who maybe have messed up with in their lives. We care deeply about these individuals because God cares about these individuals, right? So we become champions for them. We, we not only are, are champions for that, but we're also champions for the elderly, those that are, that are in nursing homes. In my life and in my ministry, I've been in so many nursing homes. I've been in some difficult ones and some really, really sad ones. You know what I'm talking about. And you go into a nursing home, and it's so loud because of all the televisions that are playing. And the people are just standing there, and they're staring at the walls, or they're staring at the TV for 18 hours a day, it seems like sometimes, in some cases, because in some cases, their families don't show up for weeks or months at a time. But we ought to care about the people that are in these places. God cares about the elderly. He cares about those who are homebound. He cares about the people that are around us. That's what it means to value human life. We value children who don't have fathers and mothers. We value them by adopting them or foster care. We, we embrace the difficulties and the sadness and the hardships of those children and what surround those children in light of that by stepping into those spaces. And God then leads us at times into those spaces when he puts that on our hearts to minister to these children or take them sometimes in some cases into our own homes. This is what it means to value human life. You see, in how you pursue Christ, it matters. Not just in how we treat people or view people, but in how we pursue them for Christ. We pray, we give, we go. It should matter when someone is on the other side of the world who's never heard about Jesus Christ. It should matter. We want to pray, yes. We want to give, yes. We want to go. We care about those people. We may never meet them. We never, may never see them, but we should care about them and maybe in some cases sending people to them and in some cases in our own hearts going to those people and sharing about the good news of Jesus Christ that we so enjoy in this room this morning. That is what it means to value all human life. Listen, and we're done. God cares about his people. He cares about the culture we live in. Where God's people dwell, God dwells. And he wants to establish justice. But I want you to just remind you of this this morning, that the road to Christ 
is hard for the self-righteous. It's really hard for you to meet up to the expectation that Jesus Christ has for you. You'll never meet it. But it is so easy for the sinner to come to Christ. Because that's a place where you can find safety. That's a place where you can find asylum. Because you and I are sinners, and we're broken people. We've all turned away from God. As we know the verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yes. But we also know the other verse, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And I want to give you a chance to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning if you haven't done so already. You know, the Bible tells us that when we come to the table like this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a testimony. It is a declaration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But it is not just a ritual that we just tuck away and we move on with our lives. We proclaim the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And he offers that life to all of us. And if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you a chance to do that here at the end of our service. We'll stand and we'll sing. And as we're standing and everyone's singing around you, you just come forward and you just say, I want to give my life to Christ. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means fully yet. But I know I'm a sinner and I know that Jesus Christ is worthy. And I want to follow him with my life instead of myself. If that's where you are, you come forward. Listen, if God has been speaking to you about our membership, if he's been speaking to you about baptism, if he's been speaking to you about missions or calling into ministry or anything of that nature, you need to respond to what God is saying and surrender to whatever that word is this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for this time that we sing and worship him. Let's respond to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for guiding us and directing us through this very important passage, Lord. We give this time to you. We pray that you, Lord, would minister to us, speak to us, we ask you, God, that you give us courage, courage to say yes to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me and let's sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost.
Say 